0: We are so glad that you could join us today. Our prayer is that as you listen to the word, you would take this time to draw nearer to God as an individual and as a family. God loves you so, so much, and his desire is for you to get closer to him in this season through worship, through dwelling in his word and prayer. This is
1: one of the most important days of the year for our church. I believe it's that way because of the fact that we are closing off a 21-day Daniels fast. Every year, we set this time aside to fast and to pray. Fasting and prayer has incredible power when done correctly. When we really focus on spiritual things, when we put aside food, when we put aside the natural to focus on God and what God has to say. Every year, just before our prayer conference, we close out our fast. Today is the day that we close out our fast. Tonight or even at lunchtime today we will be joining together as family. I just, I just want to encourage you as we close out the fast, make sure that the way you close the fast is with a listening ear. Often we hear little or nothing during the fast. But as we close out the fast, that's when God speaks. He is wanting to speak to you. And I'm wanting you to hear His voice. Never before have we needed to hear the voice of God like we do today. So today I've also brought a message. And uh, I couldn't think of a title, but I thought of plodding through. You know, the word plodding paints for us a very definitive picture. We plod through a muddy field. It kind of reminds me of when we were building our building and we would have to go do site inspections. we walk out to that building after a rainstorm and it would leave a deposit of mud on the bottom of our feet. I always said we were six inches taller by the time we got to the site. The more you walked, the harder it was to walk and the more clay you collected on your feet. It's the epitome of plotting. Plotting is a laborious walk. It's tiring. It takes work. It takes effort and it's not motivating. Often we are doing what is right or when we're doing what's right, it seems like we're plotting. Sometimes doing what we need to do or what is required isn't glamorous. It's not exciting. Doing what needs to be done can be a bit of a wrestling match. We can find ourselves asking, well, why why do I bother doing all this? Well, there's many situations where I find people plotting in the sense of the idea that it's hard work, it's drudgery making ends meet where employment has been interrupted, holding a marriage together that's frayed through the friction of constant close contact, making families or family where, as parents, we have to be available and on call 24 hours a day. How do we make our families a real family? It's where we're the teacher because our kids are at home. We're the friend. We're the disciplinarian. And we're a host of other roles due to the closure of our schools and the reticence of people to associate in person during these times. I think this situation is putting a lot of pressure on our families. Finding energy to lead my family spiritually or even faithfully attending church online can seem to be like I'm plodding. Maintaining friendships and building a life seems like we're plodding. There are times when all we can do is put one foot in front of the other and hope for better days. Plotting, on the other hand, can also imply walking with purpose and walking with intention. You see, plotting often has a connotation of having a fixed and important destination in mind. When it comes to matters of life and death or to our eternity, I think it's important that we look at our lives very carefully. There's a plotting that leads to hopelessness or just a sense of drudging through another day or another week or another month or, for God forbid, another year. But then there's a plotting that has purpose behind it. It seems as if we can begin to plod along in our walk with God sometimes and that things like going to church or attending a cell group or seeking out fellowship are a bit of a drudgery. But I want to remind us I want to remind all of you today that our walk with Jesus is not just something that we do or a decision that we make and endure until we go to heaven. It really is a matter of life and death. Now, many of us intellectually might be able to grasp that and know that, but all of us are not really that desperate. But we should be. We should be desperate. A mentor, a a friend of mine, Told me that desperation is better than despair. I'm not sure I knew what he meant when he told me that, but as I've walked with God, I've learned never to despair, but to turn my plodding from drudgery to being desperate to see God move in my life. We read in Matthew 24, and I, that's where I want to turn today. Jesus is speaking about the world and the situation that he and his disciples were part of. In many ways, their, their world resembles yours and mine today. They were living in extremely turbulent times. Uh, There were countless social problems. Anxiousness and instability led to political unrest and social instability. The religious institution of that time, the temple, was not really living up to its biblical mandates or its expectations. In fact, the decay of spirituality of the temple practice and leadership was Jesus' topic. In Matthew 23, we read the whole chapter And and you can read it on your own. Uh, And he talks about the seven woes. Jesus had just spoken by way of an open rebuke to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees of the temple. He's warning against hypocrisy. He delivers a scalding reprimand of the religious practices and, and to the leaders of that day. He's confronting the Jewish systems of religion, the leaders and the people who love holding on to a form of religion but have lost the connection with God and the power that accompanies and is part of having his presence in our lives. I guess Jesus has had enough with those who have no desire to really draw close to God or put into practice the ways of the kingdom of God. So as he's departing from the temple, he says in Matthew 23, verses 37-39, listen to this. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sin unto thee. How often I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. And you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of of the Lord." You see, He's finished. Now, I'm sure that there's probably many good and faithful people worshiping in the temple. Righteous people. But He departs from the church. Oh, I mean He departs from the temple. Does that cause you and me to think? I hope it does. Would Jesus really be at home in our church? in our churches, in our fellowships? Or would he find the same disparagements? Would he find his people too comfortable, hypocritical, apathetic, self-absorbed? Or their slogging is now drudgery and has little or no purpose associated with it? Matthew 23, verses 1-12, through it says, Then Jesus spake to the multitude and to the disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatever they bid you, observe, and observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men." They make broad their phylacteries. They enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogue, and the greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be ye not called Rabbi, for one is your Master, even Christ, and all of you are brethren. And call no man your Father upon the earth, for one is your Father, which is in heaven neither be ye called masters. For one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Then Jesus talks with his disciples as he leaves the temple. And in Matthew 24, it's one of the most powerful pictures, and we, we recall it all the time. But through verses 1 through 8, it says Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and drew his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. What what a statement Jesus just made there. The Bible says as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said. When will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Now, you and I, we can, we can of course, relate to all of this, especially wars and rumors of wars, nations rising against nations, uprisings within nations, earthquakes, storms, famines. All these things are happening. But the Bible says these are the beginning of the birth pains. I don't know if the end of the world will be happening today, tomorrow, or in a hundred years. But I do know this, that there is something important for the followers of Jesus to remember. We're not supposed to be paranoid. We're not supposed to become doomsday cynics. But we have a vital role to play. We will, as the disciples before us, Jesus' disciples, We're gonna have to place our focus on the right thing. As Jesus leaves, his disciples remind him of these great buildings that the Jews have built. It's like they're saying, okay, Jesus, we know that our leaders are pretty bad, but at least we have this temple that will endure. At least we can celebrate with this. At least someday, this will be the center of all of God's kingdom on earth. (laughs) Jesus, with just a few brief words, and in mere moments reduces their thoughts and the center of Jewish religion from a temple to a broken down pile of rubble. He is saying that the buildings are not what's important. They aren't important. Great buildings will be destroyed. Amazing to all of us. We know that history shows us that the temple was actually destroyed in 70 AD and some of them actually did see the destruction in their lifetime. Of course, the disciples are shocked to hear Jesus speak like this. In fact, they're dumbfounded. Jesus keeps walking, and they can't even fathom it. Finally, they catch up to Jesus. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the temple site. And the only thing they can ask is, "When, when will this happen? Boy, I often wonder what was going through their minds at that time. Why are they asking, when will it happen? Maybe they're just hoping, man, maybe I just don't want it to happen in my lifetime. But Jesus doesn't even go there. He gives them and us a warning about not being deceived. And who we're to follow in the midst of all the chaos. He even reminds them and us that following Jesus will be difficult and might even cost us our lives. I think this is important. In fact, more important today for you and me than probably ever before. See, Jesus is speaking to the time of the end, the end of all things. Jesus says, turbulent times will come. So make sure that you get through them in the right way and on the right side. Paul said it this way. He says, when, not if, when the evil one attacks you, you better have on the full armor of God so that at the very least you'll be able to stand on the gospel of peace. We must be also aware that the person of the Holy Spirit who's been given to us is here to guide us and to comfort us. And then I think we have to take very strong cognizance of the role of angels and the role they play in our lives. I've encouraged in the Word of the Year this year for us to memorize Psalm 91. Psalm ninety-one. I remember when I first came to this country, that became my bedrock. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings thou shalt trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord which is my refuge, even the Most High thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling place. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all of thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him, the Bible says. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation." I think we should get up and probably quote that to ourselves every single day. You know, as we find ourselves plotting through turbulent times, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for the year that lies ahead? Well, three things that we can do while we're plotting through turbulent times. Number one, we need to be prepared. Don't wait until the tough times are upon us to start getting ready. This is why it's so important to practice spiritual disciplines of daily Bible reading, prayer, meditation, fellowship, cell groups, men's and women's meetings, whatever those daily disciplines are for your life. You see, I've I, I found that for many it becomes much more difficult to reconnect with spiritual discipline if we wait until times get tough. It's like waiting for your health to deteriorate before you start regular exercise. You know, it's much harder in crisis than building strength and endurance with a regular interval of exercise. That's why we should be in the the gym or running or doing something every day. Now, also understand that life isn't fair. Circumstances change. You see, the, the river may be smooth and calm, but just around the next bend there may be a stretch of white water rapids that man you're you weren't prepared for but you need to be prepared and ready for things to change bill gates in his book the speed of thought lays out 11 rules 11 rules that most students don't learn whether they're in high school or in college but they should he argues that our feel good politically correct teachings have created a generation of children or kids with no concept of reality who are actually set up for failure in the real world. Here's his 11 rules. Rule number one, life is not fair. Get used to it. Rule number two, the world won't care about your self-esteem. The world would expect you to accomplish something before you feel good about yourself. Rule three, you will not make $40,000 a year right out of the high school. You won't be the vice president with a a car phone until you earn both a high school and a college degree. Rule number four, if you think your teacher is tough, wait till you get a boss. He doesn't have tenure. Rule number five, flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. Rule six, if you mess up, it's not your parents' fault. So don't whine about your mistakes. Learn from them. Rule number seven, Before you were born, your parents weren't as boring as they are right now. They got that way from paying your bills, cleaning your clothes, and listening to you talk about how cool you are. So before you save the rainforest from the parasites of your parents' generation, try de-lousing the clothes in your own bedroom. Rule number eight, your school may have done away with winners and losers, but life has not. In some schools, they have abolished failing grades. They will let you try as many times as you want to get the right answer. This doesn't bear the slightest resemblance to anything in real life. Rule number nine, life is not divided into semesters. You don't get summers off, and very few employers are interested in helping you find yourself. So do that on your own time. Rule number ten, television is not real life. In real life, people actually have to leave the coffee shop to go to their jobs. And Rule 11, be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for one. See, I heard somebody say it this way. We're either in a problem or we're going into a tough time or we're coming out of one. All I know is that nothing in life stays the same. Nothing is static. So be ready. When, not if, but when, the turbulence comes. We must be prepared mentally, socially, physically, and financially. We must come to a place of preparedness in how and what we believe. Oh, there'll be many people telling you, I'm the Christ. They may not actually say it that way, but they will tell you that they have, or they know the answer to your dilemma. They'll have what you need to survive. They can save you. Isn't that the same as saying I'm the Christ? I'm not against being there to help each other. And in fact, that's the duty of every believer. But the responsibility lies with you and with me to be fully persuaded in what we believe. There are many things being said today in this information age. And the Bible warns us to test all things, to test the Spirit's, You see, deception is going to be the major area that will afflict the church in these last days. 1 John 4, 1, the Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Many false prophets. In every facet of the world, not just in the church, but about everything. I think we need to be prepared and Trust in the real Savior, Jesus, His words, His ways, His teachings. We must be full of His Word, and we shouldn't allow ourselves to replace the Word of God with the philosophies and the teachings of men. False prophets are abounding in there, they're very persuasive. Jesus warns that they'll deceive the very elect of God. We must prepare ourselves, our families, by handling the Word of God. You know, There's a story that I've been told many times about how they train the reserve bank tellers. Reserve bank tellers are probably the highest trained tellers, supposedly. And in order to pick out a forgery or a a fake note, they spend, I think it's six weeks, counting real brand new money. And they get a feel for the texture and a look. And then their exam is at the end of their training. They're given all the best counterfeits in a stack of old notes. They're able to go through that because they've handled so much of the real, they can pick out the fake. They can pick out the counterfeit. Boy, I hope that for you and I that you and I will do the same, that we will handle so much of the Word of God that we'll be able to see the fake, we'll be able to see and test the spirits against the Word of God and not be deceived. So the second thing is not only are we to be prepared, but we need to be attentive. At this time in the condition and history of the world, we need to be attentive to what's going on around us, and more importantly, we need to be especially attentive to those who are suffering amongst us. You see, there are many who are suffering from the effects of the mismanagement that has been accompanying the COVID crisis, the COVID outbreak. Don't neglect this aspect of the gospel, because it's expressed in so many different ways throughout the scripture. In fact, the Bible teaches us that as we water others, we ourselves will be watered. Jesus also taught that if we give of ourselves, if we give of our finances, if we we give of anything, it'll be returned to us, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I've learned that when I'm attentive to the needs and especially the suffering of others, God takes an interest in my needs. Now, more than ever, we need to realize that Jesus wants to use you and me to be His hands extended to helping meet the needs of others, their sufferings their needs in this time of turbulence. Helping others is one of the greatest ways that we can get out of our own turbulent times. You see, by by doing so, we can help sustain someone in their tumultuous time. Not only that, but we derive the benefit of the simple fact that it feels good. It feels good when we help somebody else, but it also reminds us of God's love for us. It gets us out of our poor me syndrome. Oh, poor me. Often while we're waiting around for someone else to do something for us, we miss out on the wonderful opportunity, the wonderful blessing that God has for us that could have been ours by just getting outside of our own problems to help someone else. I think you've all heard of the woman who took her husband to the doctor's office and after the checkup, the doctor said, well, your husband is suffering from a very serious ailment. The husband, who was hard of hearing, said, what did he say? That's why I said, he says you're sick. The doctor went on. But there is hope. You just need to reduce his stress. I'm recommending that each morning you make him a healthy breakfast. You must make sure that your demeanor is always pleasant, nice, and kind throughout the day. For lunch and dinner, make and serve him his favorite meals. Don't discuss any of your problems with him as that will only make his stress worse. Don't raise your voice at him. Don't argue with him. And most importantly, as often as he desires, cater to your husband's conjugal needs. If you can do this for your husband for the next six months to a year, I think your husband will have a complete recovery. The husband said, What did he say? That's why I said, He says you're gonna die. You see, I think sometimes we think it's too hard to help somebody else. But really, put yourself in their shoes. Let's reach out. Let's be God's hand extended. Number three, we need to be faithful. (sighs) Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Keep worshiping. Keep praying. Keep serving. Keep on keeping on. You might just be giving up right before your miracle happens. Have you ever wondered how easy it is to fail? You just need to give up. By giving up, you agree to fail. Just think, if everyone born in this world would have taken the easy way out, humanity would have just perished. The truth is that it is very immature and very foolish to give up. Determination is the antidote to giving up. More often, determination is the only thing that really determines success in our lives. Now, I'm, heard, I'm sure you heard the story about the donkey that once fell in the well, and the farmer tried his best to take him out, but couldn't do so. So he decided to bury the donkey and close up the well and began shoveling dirt and soil into the well. The farmer called his friends to come and help him, and Uh, they were covering up the well with dirt and soil. The donkey understood that he has been abandoned to die soon. With renewed vigor and determination, he began to shake off the dirt that was being dropped over him. As more dirt was dropped, he would shake it off and then take a step up. Finally, as the dirt kept on dropping, he reached the top of the well and climbed out of the edge alive. I can tell you something. Life is going to keep throwing challenges in the form of problems, in the form of tumultuousness at you and I. Giving up would mean certain and immediate defeat. The only chance that you and I have is to keep trying one more time. Continuing our efforts is the only guaranteed way to success. My mentor told me, he says, perseverance will always outlast persecution. Boy, these words have been by saving grace on more than one occasion. I think we all know the story of Thomas Edison. It's a perfect example of determination and tenacity. His quote, he said, Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. That quote is what Edison lived by. One of his endeavors was to create a filament for the electric light bulb. It was said that he failed 10,000 times before succeeding in coming up with the tungsten filament bulb. In his own words, he said this, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. Wow, what an amazing way to think of life. So let me encourage you. Don't slack off. Don't cut corners. Don't be mediocre. And don't be lukewarm be faithful. We knew that the start of this year would be tumultuous, and already we have seen a horrific start. We don't know what will happen during the rest of this year. We don't know how bad things will get. One thing I'm sure of is the fact that God is faithful. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We know that the Lord is our provider. We know that God is more than able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. We know that God is not finished with us yet. So let's not be finished with God. Let's not give up before the miracle. Place your hope in God. Place your trust in Him and don't give up on what God is doing. For me, it is a matter of life and death. I get that. My hope is you do too. Now let me just review for a second. Be prepared. The daily disciplines lead to preparedness. You know, somebody talked about the 10,000 hours. You know, preparedness is sometimes in just doing your 10,000 hours, getting the experiences so that you become proficient in a specific area. I want to encourage you to get your 10,000 hours. And while you're getting it, it may be a bit of a drudgery, but on the other side, it becomes the skill, the talent, the very thing that you need. Another man said it this way. He says, do your 20-mile journey. And he told the story of uh, William Shackleton who uh, led his uh, men every day 20 miles. On a terrible day, 20 miles. On a great day, 20 miles. They could have gone 100, but every day. He says, we're going to do 20 miles a day. Come rain, come snow, come, come blizzard. It doesn't matter what we hit, 20 miles a day. He was successful. He he was able to save his men's lives. While another explorer on the same journey would do 100 miles one day and stay in his tents for three days when the storm came, and they overshot their supply lines, they all died on the journey. Let me tell you something. There's something about being consistent, being persistent, preparing yourself to take that 20-mile journey. The second thing, let me remind you, be attentive. And being attentive just means be more outward-minded. Don't think so much about yourself and your situation. And number three, be faithful. Be faithful. Don't give up. God rewards faithfulness. Turn plodding with drudgery into the adventure of finding your purpose, your destiny, and being desperate for God, God will lead you. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. So as we close today, there are some of you, that you're watching this, and God's speaking to you. You may want to respond. Some of us need to respond to God himself. We need to say, God, I have given up. I haven't been in the gym for so long that I've become saggy and baggy, spiritually speaking. I'm ready to get back on track. There's a phone call, a phone number right there. Phone that number right now. Call somebody. Tell them. Say, listen, I'm making a decision. Some of you have never given your life to Jesus. This is a great time for you to call someone and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to get involved with God and let God get involved in my life. Others of you, you just need a word of encouragement. You need somebody to be involved in your life. You need to find a cell group. You need to find a men's group, a woman's group. You need to find fellowship. You're drying up. You're withering on the vine. God says that there's life in the cluster of the grapes. When you get removed from the cluster, you become a raisin. We don't need to dry up. We need to be together. We need to more and more, as we see Jesus' day approach, get together. We need, as the church, to pull ourselves together. I need other people. I need you in my life. I'm desperate for fellowship. I go out and find it all the time. Fellowshipping with others around the Word of God, encouraging one another, it's important. Call that number right now. Somebody can help you right now. Find a way to find fellowship, to find Christ, to find help. Just even to be prayed with. If we don't have the skill at the other end of that line, we can direct you to that skill. And by the way, as I said at the beginning of this program, if you're suffering, in any way from COVID, we have Celebration Health there to help you. Use this same call number. There's a call line waiting for you. Somebody at the end of that line can help. Sometimes we just get desperate. We don't know where to turn. We want to help. We love you. Let me pray. Father, I pray for those that are listening to my voice. I thank you for your church. I thank you, Father, that you have called us to be together, to do this together. Father, I am so grateful for the church that you've given me permission to be a part of, and to lead. Now I'm asking, Lord, that you would stir our hearts, stir our vision towards each other, that we would be prepared, that we would be attentive, and that we would be faithful. And Father, when you're coming, and when you return, we're available, and we're waiting. With our lamps lit, and our hearts on fire, bless the sound of my voice in the hearts of your people. Cause many to turn to you today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you again next week. God bless you.
0: Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that you were blessed and that God will continue to transform your life in this season. If you have a testimony or need prayer and counseling, please send a WhatsApp or a call me to plus two six three seven eight four three zero three nine zero zero. Or plus We want to hear from you. And we are here for you and are ready to listen to you, to pray for you, and to celebrate with you. So thank you. We love you and stay safe.